And we do begin tonight with a new book, the book of Judges, chapter number one. Judges is the natural following of the book of Joshua. Because it begins with, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass. And so, uh, just uh, natural to go right on into this book. And uh, tonight, uh, we will try to do just that. We're going to try to cover the first 16 verses here. In the last chapter of the book of Joshua, we saw the, the, the last chapter in the life of Joshua, Moses' successor who died at the age of 110, according to verse 29 of that last chapter of uh, Joshua, Joshua 24, 29. 110 years old. Joshua proved himself to be a man of God, as well as a very capable leader. We know that. He led Israel into the promised land. He fought alongside them as they began the conquest for the land that the Lord had promised them. And just prior to his death, we saw how Joshua had warned Israel of the danger of becoming complacent in their lives in Joshua 23. And then in Joshua 24, he gathered all the leaders of Israel and reminded them of what the Lord God of Israel had done for Israel from all the way back from the days of Abraham, right on up to where they were at at this particular point. Joshua then challenged them to forsake all other gods and renew their commitment to the Lord, to fear Him, and to serve Him alone, and to stay the course with Him. Stay the course was that last message we shared with you. Now, the Lord had given instruction in Moses' day to this same end to deliver to them, and Moses warned them of the dire consequences of forsaking the Lord and being disobedient to Him. Now, we're not going to take time to turn there because we've turned there numerous times during our our time in the book of Joshua, but Deuteronomy 8 verses 11 through 20 is where uh, Moses had warned them, and uh, that's why Joshua warned them again. So they've been properly warned, amen? And we're going to see that they didn't heed the warning. Now, we're not going to see that tonight. Uh, When we pick up next week, we're going to begin to see some little inklings of uh, incomplete obedience. Incomplete obedience is disobedience. Okay? It's just what it is. So, with them being properly admonished and warned, Joshua died, and in the absence of his leadership, there seemed to be a question about what comes next. And that often happens when a leader passes off the scene. Sadly, uh, I've seen ministries that just basically kind of folded up after the leader uh, uh, passed off the scene, whether it be a pastor of a church, a leader of a college, or whatever. Uh, and, and that's sad. That ought not happen. I mean, you're following the Lord. You know, you're following me as I follow the Lord. If something happens to me and I'm not able to preach next Sunday, you ought to still be coming. You ought to still, you know, be looking at what what the Lord would have for Central Baptist Church because you're a part of this church, and uh, I'm not the one that's worthy of of uh, being put that high on the pedestal, I can assure you, uh, we, we put the Lord on the pedestal. He's the one that we serve, and let's remember that. Now, we see a proper confidence uh, in verse number 1. We see a proper confidence. Israel asked the Lord what was next here. Look at verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass 
that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So they knew very well that the uh, conquest had to continue. Remember uh, that Joshua had divided up the land among the tribes, but there were still battles to be fought. He told them as much. And enemies that needed to be defeated. And enemies that needed to be driven out of the land. And so what would Israel do without Joshua? That's a good question, right? Uh, what do the Lord's people do when their leader dies or becomes unable to lead them? Can they continue to do the Lord's will? Uh, they ought to be able to. Israel knew that Joshua simply followed the Lord, so it was truly the Lord who led Israel. And uh, it's, a, it's refreshing, that verse number one is very refreshing. I, mean, I know Joshua would be, uh, he would have liked that verse one, where they went to the Lord and said, what do we do now? <laughs> uh, asked the Lord, saying, who's, 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 who's going to go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And, and so, um, uh, can they continue to do the Lord's will? Well, Israel knew that Joshua simply followed the Lord, and that's what they were to do too. It was truly the Lord who was leading them. So, so they rightly inquired of the Lord after Joshua's death. Sadly, as I said, when a spiritual leader dies or is no longer able to lead, some people stray from the Lord and turn away from him. But Israel saw the need to turn to the Lord after Joshua's death, at least initially. Okay? As I said, things are going to change here in a little bit. In our journey through this book, we're going to see very early how they did not stay the course, as Joshua told them they must do. But at this point, Israel knew that the Lord's promises regarding the land was to them, not just to Joshua. Okay, So they asked the Lord what to do next, and that was a great choice. And the Lord told them what to do next. You know, if we ask, the Lord will tell us. He'll show us. We see verse number 2. We see a proper command. And that's the Lord's answer to Israel. Verse number 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up, and behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. There's a promise there. Yeah, amen. Uh, They had promise of victory. Judah shall go up, and I've I've delivered. So initially we see things seem to be going well here, at least on the surface. However, we're going to see later some things changed and the Lord didn't change, but the people's obedience did. And we can tell that by comparing the opening verse of this book with the closing verse, which summarizes Israel's first 300 years in the land. It's it's that we're going to be covering in this book 300 years in the land of uh, the, the promised land that God had given to them. Judges 21 verse 25 says, In those days... There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's how the book ends. It begins with on a good note, but it ends on a very, very sad note. In Judges 1.1, when Israel sought the Lord's will and saw him as being their king, I mean, when, when, when you ask the Lord, when you come before the Lord, you, you're saying, you are Lord, you are king, and I, and I am acknowledging you. When they were doing that, they prospered. Shortly afterward, they're going to, uh, we're going to see them become indifferent to the word of the Lord. And by the end of the book, it's clearly evident that Israel sought its own will, not the Lord's will, and they suffered for it. They're going to suffer for that. 
so we see proper confidence. We see a proper command. Next thing we see in verse number three, we see a proper cooperation, or we could say collaboration. Judah asked Simeon for help here. Look at verse three. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, Come up with me unto my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. Uh, we, we need to remember that there's nothing wrong with asking our brethren and the Lord for help. Uh, it was true then, and it's still true in this age in which we live, the church age. Uh, hold your place there, and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 for just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And uh, I want to begin reading verse number 5. We're going to read from verse 5 down to verse number 10 here. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says in verse 5, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together. That's what I want you to see there. We're laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. So uh, Judah wasn't afraid to ask for help, and uh, Simeon said, Sure, I help you, and you help me. And so uh, brethren fighting together with each other and for each other against a common enemy instead of fighting each, each other, as many times the case is and when it comes to uh, fighting. I mean, it's sad when we start fighting each other, amen? That's a great lesson here. A lot more can be accomplished together than on our own. Cooperation against a common enemy for a common purpose is needed and is also jointly beneficial. What they were doing for one another was needed, amen? They were, they were helping one another. So we see a proper confidence, a proper command, a proper cooperation or collaboration. We, next we see in verses 4 through 7, we see a proper consequence. We should say proper consequence for the enemy. God gave Judah the victory. Look at verse number 4. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew them in Bezek. 10,000 men. Say, the Lord did what he said he was going to do. He said, I'll deliver, deliver them into your hand. And it, we see uh, verse 5, and they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him. And they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. Now, I know that makes Booker clinch back there. He got, he got toe issues tonight. <laughs> you wouldn't want to know somebody cutting your toes off, though. You know? But here we see this king had his, his, his thumbs cut off and, and uh, great toes cut off. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings have their, 
having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of, Israel, of Judah had fought against Jerusalem uh, and had taken it and smitten it uh, with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Well, I got a little ahead of myself there. But when, when we seek, first seek the Lord, then we follow his word, then and only then can we be assured of the victory. They sought the Lord, they followed what the Lord told them to do, and God gave the victory to them. Even this pagan king could, could see the truth that we reap what we sow. And do, does us well to remember that in our own lives. You know, some people call it karma. Others say what goes around comes around. God says you reap what you sow, though. Amen. I'll say pretty much the same thing, though. This pagan king didn't kill these other kings. That would have been more merciful, don't you think, than just cutting their thumbs off, cutting their big toes off. Um, he let them live but he disfigured them in such a way that he made their lives hard on them. Think about it. Without big toes, they could not run or even be very steady on their feet. Without thumbs, they could not use a sword. You try to pick something up without your thumb. You know, it's really difficult if you don't have a thumb. Um, couldn't pick up a sword or, or even pick things up without great effort. After he chopped off the thumbs and the big toes off of the first several kings, he may have thought that he could continue to do so with no consequences. He managed to disfigure 70 other kings. Why don't you think about that? Kind of like he, he made a sport of it. Uh, 70 other kings before he finally reaped what he had sown. There comes a time when if we sin in, an er in arrogance without repenting, our sin will truly Find us out. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. No one can sin with impunity. You can't sin and get by with it. What we perceive as delay or God overlooking is really mercy on the part of God as He waits for us to repent. Romans chapter 2, verse number 4 speaks of the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. It says those things are meant to lead us to repentance. But when they lead us to arrogance, it, we just uh, compound our problem, don't we? Fifth thing we see here, and I read down into verse number 8. We'll read it again, uh, verse 8 through 11. Uh, we see a previous, I'm going to call it a previous conundrum. I was trying to keep P's and, keep and C's here, okay, just to, just to make it uh, uh, fun for us tonight. See, a previous conundrum. Judah had stopped short of full obedience in their previous battle for Jerusalem. Look at verse number 8. It says, Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem and had taken it and smitten it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountain and in the south and in the valley. And Judah went against the Canaanites that dwelled in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba. And they slew Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmiah. And, and I wish they named them Tom and Joe and 
Susie, you know, they, these names I, I struggle with them like you do, okay? But uh, look at verse number 11 here. He says, and, and from thence he went against the inhabitants of Debir. And the name of Debir uh, before was Kerjath Sefer. Um, uh, so we see, uh, if we were to go back to Joshua chapter number 12, I'm not going to turn back there, but Joshua 12 verses 8 through 10 says that Joshua and Israel had already conquered Jerusalem at one point earlier. Okay, They had already, already done this. Joshua 15.63 shows it to have been less than a total victory though. Joshua 15 verse 63 says this. It says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. That was at the writing of the book of Joshua. The Jebusites were still in uh, Jerusalem. Still dwelling in Jerusalem. Verse 9 here uh, in Judges 1 shows that Judah went on to other battles. So the Jebusites that escaped must have come back because verse 21 says that Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites and inhabited Jerusalem. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but we you will see a glimpse of what's going to be happening Look down to verse number 21. We're not going to get that, that far tonight, but it says, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. That is the, after the book of Judges was written. In fact, you will find uh, that Jerusalem was not fully taken until the time of David in 2 Samuel chapter number 5, verses 6 through 9. But let's move on. Uh, we see uh, the, the previous conundrum. We see a proposal contracted. And I'm not going to take time to go through this because Ca- this is where Caleb offered his daughter for a victory against Kerjath Saphir, uh, verses 12 through 15. In fact, I'm, I'm not even going to read that because we've, we've read the parallel passage over in Joshua 15, verses 16 through 19. But verses 12 through 15 here. Uh, we saw this when we were in Joshua 15. And this is just a retelling of that incident of Caleb saying, hey, if you go get victory over this, um, I'm going to give you my daughter. And uh, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it and he gave him Aksa, his daughter to wife. Um, so... Uh, we're not going to cover that, take time to cover that again. I don't, I don't like rehashing things that we've already dealt with. But we see here in uh, verse number 18, and this is, a, this is the last thing I want to deal with tonight. Uh, uh, verse, excuse me, verse number 16. Verse number 16. It says, And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. Okay, Think about Moses' father-in-law. We know him as Jethro. Okay, He's called Jethro or Jether. That name means preeminence or excellence. Um, in Exodus 18, we find Moses' father-in-law uh, coming to, to meet him uh, 
when they were encamped near the Mount of God. They hadn't quite got to Mount Sinai. They were, they were near the Mount. And just prior to them, to the God giving the law to Moses, we see he came and he met with, with uh, uh, Moses. And they had a good meeting together. And, uh, and he gave some advice to Moses about how he ought to deal with the people. And then he decided he's going to go on back home. Um, but uh, this fellow is also called, not only his name Jethro or Jether, but he's also known as Ru- Ruel or Raguel, meaning friend of God. But what he was, he was an Arab sheik, as well as being a priest of Midian. Um, and uh, in Numbers 10, I want us to turn to Numbers chapter number 10, because this is where we get what's going on here in verse number 16. Why would uh, the children of Moses' father-in-law, okay, they're not Israelites, okay, why would they be given uh, a place to dwell among the people of God? Well, the answer is found in Numbers chapter number 10 and verse number 29 through 32 here. And here we find Moses talking to Hobab, who was his brother-in-law. Okay, Hobab is a, a son um, of Jethro, as we know him. He's, he's not called Jethro in this particular passage, but he's called uh, uh, Raguel. Okay, but the same guy, same guy. And um, let's read it. And Moses said unto Hobab, verse twenty-nine. Where you with me in Numbers ten? Numbers ten twenty-nine. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my own kindred, and to to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. Now the Midianites have been used to living among all the tribes of the land of Canaan. They've been used to all that. And they used to the ways of the land. Uh, notice verse 32. and it's, Notice the promise here that Moses gave to him. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what, what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. So, what is happening over in uh, Judges 1 verse 16 is uh, the people of Israel following through on Moses' commitment to his brother-in-law. <laughs> um, he talked them into making the journey with them to the promised land to help them in the strange land. So, uh, they, decide, they followed through and I'm glad to see that they did that. And that's as far as we're going to go tonight. Lord willing, we're going to pick back up there in verse number 17 next week when we will begin to see some problems for the children of Israel as they fail to fulfill the Lord's commands. We're going to see them fall short of driving out the inhabitants. And it's going to have disastrous effect by the time we get to chapter number 2. A very disastrous effect upon uh, their 
their kids, their children. And uh, uh, when uh, Joshua passes and all the elders that served under Joshua pass, you basically have a void of spiritual leadership. And you got a whole generation that grew up not knowing the Lord. How sad is that? All right, that's our Bible study for this week. Uh, we'll pull out our prayer list, pray for the needs that are there, and we'll be dismissed with this prayer.